So in this episode, we will discuss about T.S. Eliot's tradition and the individual talent. Until the middle of the last century, Eliot's idea of tradition was extraordinarily influential. His essay, Tradition and the Individual Talent, uh, 1919, was a major contributor to modernism's rise and hegemony. The essay's decline accompanied that of modernism, and the academy it suffered the fate of an abandoned lover. Spurn and neglect, like its author, it came to be regarded as conservative, elitist, obsessed with order and backward-looking. So this was hardly surprising at a time when modernism turned postmodernism, when plurality supplanted hierarchy, when the notion of a literary career was under five, when what constitutes literary studies was under instant intense scrutiny. Too many, any idea of tradition came to seem irrelevant, the chimera of a bygone age. However, things are changing now. Postmodernism is retreating. We are beginning to live with the fact of plurality, the canons rather than the canon. We are able to return to Eliot's idea of tradition from a more impartial perspective. We are not in the position of earlier critics who often worked with Eliot's premises and assumptions. As Eliot has written, we cannot know where we are now without knowing how we got here. Modernism and Eliot's essential contribution to it leads to where we are today. As he wrote in Tradition and the Individual Talent, someone said, The dread dead writers are removed from us because we know so much more than they did. Precisely, and they are what we know. Elite is part of what we know, however unconsciously. Tradition and the individual talent is still potentially remarkably potential essay. It courts the dangers of self-contradiction. At some level it knows it. It is self-conscious as a critical performance and anticipates any deconstructive reading. These qualities in her, in its Elliptical style, where corners are cut, logic is slippery, and the progress from one sentence to the next is mercurial. At the start of the essay, Eliot writes, Criticism is as inevitable as breathing, but almost in the same breath that we should be none worse for criticizing our own minds in their work of criticism. This statement is an early challenge to the Anglo-American critical establishment about the need to theorize. The metacritical seed of literary theory was sown at any rate at the West by Eliot's famous essay. The immediate object of tradition and the individual talent is to define poetic value and originality and of course the motivation was the direction of his own poetic practice but its ramifications are extensive in the field of history, philosophy, epistemology, as well as aesthetic theory and artistic creativity. It sets out to a reconciled tradition and the individual. In the process, other antinomies are to be reconciled. The timeless and the temporal, the past and the present, permanence and change, knowledge and experience, the ideal and the real. The essay gives the sanity of the traditional to originality and the excitement of originality to the traditional. 
We praise originality in a poet when he does not resemble anyone else. His difference from his predecessors. Eliot has a different view of originality. We shall find that not only the best but the most individual parts of this work may be those in which the dead poets, his ancestors, assert their immortality most vigorously. This happens in the period of the poet's full maturity. This prepares us to see the relevance of the quotations and allusions of past reputations in the wasteland. This is the prelude to what Eliot says, the metaphysical poets. Poets in our civilization must be difficult. The poet must become more and more comprehensive, more allusive, more indirect in order to force language into his meaning. Tradition by this account is not what it is taken to be, something unconsciously handed down. It cannot be inherited and if you want it you must obtain it by great labor. It is a labor which entails the historical sense which involves a perception not only of the pastness of the past but its presence. The historical sense compels a man to write not merely with his own generation in his mouths, but a feeling that the whole of the literature of Europe has a simultaneous existence and composes a simultaneous order. The past is thus not only a chronology to which the present is perpetually being added with us at the end of it. It's something which is forever altering from our present ever-changing perspective. It depends on us as much as we depend on it. Eliot's brilliant move is to bring together these perceptions of time. Their conjunction is crucial to his idea of tradition. The historical sense is a sense of the timeless as well as of the temporal and of the timeless and the temporal together. The essay thus brings together of synchronic view of history where the past is always with us and a diachronic view where the past is past. This argument means that every work of art is a new beginning but that it cannot be achieved without the larger perspective of all such beginnings throughout the history. The lived truths have to be constantly reinterpreted so also works of art. No poet, no artist of any art as the complete meaning alone. The existing monuments form an ideal order among themselves which is modified by the introduction of the new, the really new work of art among them. The existing order is complete before the new work arrives. For order to persist after the supervention of novelty, the whole existing order must be, if ever so slightly, altered. Critics and commentators are fond of pointing out the difficulties and illogicalities of this argument. Monument normally signifies something unchanging. But Eliot no doubt wanted to retain the world's aura while altering its significance. The notion of complexity, completeness does not sit well with the idea of an open and renewable tradition. And if an order is ideal, can it be subject to perpetual modification? Eliot's attempt is to reconcile synchrony and diachrony of perception of time. 
the ideal order of the past and the immense panorama of utility and anarchy which is contemporary history can scarcely exist except on the frontier of metaphysics or mysticism elliot refuses to go beyond that frontier and the essay presents an unresolved tension between reality and ideality that the poet should be aware of the mind of europe which is more important than his own favorite mind is a doctrine that calls for a large amount of erudition elliot defends the doctrine by softening it the poet should develop the consciousness of the past and continue to develop this throughout his career what happens is a continual surrender of himself to something which is more valuable the progress of an artist is a continual self sacrifice a continual extinction of personality the process is depersonalization the second part of tradition and individual talent shift from tradition and the historical sense to the individual practicing poet celiet has already suggested the conception of poetry as a living whole of all the poetry that has ever been written the other aspect of this impersonal theory of poetry is the relation of the poem to the poet he uses the analogy of the catalyst when a mixture of sulfur dioxide and oxygen is heated in the presence of platinum rod they combine to form sulfuric acid the mind of the poet is the platinum rod elitian psychology says that the man who suffers and the mind that creates are separate entities the poet's mind is in fact a receptacle for seizing and storing up numberless feelings phrases images which remain there until all the particles which can write to form a new compound are present together strangely enough elliot cites keats or to nightingale to justify his theory the order of its <coughs> keats contains a number of feelings which have nothing to do with the nightingale the image of the nightingale lies suspended in the mind of keats because of its hellenic mythic associations and feelings phrases and images cling around it till all the elements are present to make the poem so it is like growing a crystal in a saturated solution the emotion inherent in the fusion becomes art emotion the poet has not a personality to express but a particular medium in which impressions experiences combine in particular and unexpected ways elsewhere eliot clarifies this further with another analogy the difference between the ordinary mind and the poet's mind is this the ordinary man falls in love reads spinoza gets the smell of cooking and hears the sound of typewriter these experiences remain separate in his mind but in the mind of the poet these disparate experiences combine to form a new amalgam the process of fusion should remain a mystery eliot's intention to correct the prevailing romantic taste for poetry makes him crack down upon wordsworth's emotion recollected in tranquility it is says eliot an exact inexact formula what is required is not emotion or recollection or tranquility 
but concentration of a number of experiences into art which is not conscious or deliberate poetry is not a turning loose of emotion but an escape from emotion it is not the expression of personality but an escape from personality in the same breath eliot throws his theory into doubt but of course only those who have personality and emotions know what it means to want to escape from these things eliot's impersonality theory has been criticized as a rhetorical sleight of hand Maud Alman demonstrates this in her book Impersonality T.S. Eliot and Ezra Pound she argues that Eliot's notion of impersonality is equivocal and his conception of a continued self-sacrifice a continual extinction of personality enables rather than degrades the poet through its saintly renunciation of the self the theory of impersonality does not deny subjectivism the scientific seemingly objective chemical analogy for the creative process whose purpose is to denigrate the work of art as an expressive medium needs to reads today like a smoke screen elman writes that eliot caught claims to be degrading others into passive vehicles in which emotions and feelings may combine at will However, feeling presupposes a feeler. Eliot is attacking expressivism with its own weapons. So, although Eliot wanted the authority of an objective discourse with his theory of impersonality, tradition and the individual talent betrays intense personal motivation. Eliot's enlist terms of classicism against romanticism. The strategy is rhetorical. The rhetoric worked for many years. until k c k steed in his book the new poetic aids to eliot 1964 established the romantic and post romantic inheritance of eliot's poetry eliot's notion of impersonality owes much to important tendencies his off quoted poetry is not a turning loose of emotion but escape from personality has affinities with keats's equally famous idea of the chameleon poet the poetical character is not itself it has no self it is everything or nothing it has no character a poet is the most unpoetical of anything in existence because he has no identity he is continually in for and feeling some other body it's from letters of john keats and recent studies have convincingly argued that in many respects eliot's criticism is continuous with romantic thought such arguments have been accompanied by a general revision of literary history that sees modernism not as a break with but on the contrary an extension of romanticism